Imaging Company in Collierville. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Brian Jacobs. Welcome back into Sports Time. Brian and Brett with you and joining us now to talk some Tiger football from the Commercial Appeal. He's the Tiger football beat writer. Jonah Dillon joins us now. Jonah, thanks so much for joining us and a uh, scary game on Saturday for the Tigers against North Texas. They get up big early in the game, but then the second half, North Texas starts that comeback. They led late in the fourth quarter before a game-winning drive by Seth Hennigan connecting to Joe Skates in the end zone. What did you make of that performance on Saturday? Yeah, there was a lot to uh, to try to unpack after the game. I think uh, during the game, I went through about five different versions of my initial game story. Um, so it was that kind of a game, and I was was very stressed out going to the last couple minutes because it was shifting so much. Um, so there was a lot to get there. I mean, even by the time we were in the post game press conference, and I was asking Ryan Silverfield about Blake Watson's performance, which had been amazing, really, like in the first five minutes of the game. And we were struggling to even remember that far back because there's so much so that had happened yeah. between that first run that he scored the touchdown 46 seconds into the game. And then the Tigers are kind of running away with it. And then by the end, you know, we're not even remembering that. So it was a wild game. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? One is they went on the road and they won. And you can say whatever else. And one is there were some problems, especially obviously in the second half. So a lot to unpack there. And the, and the ultimate reason we play the Tigers prevail. They're victorious now, six and two. Uh, I think it was the, the, the best game for Seth Hennigan, best game for Blake Watson, a real breakout game, uh, potentially for, for Joseph Skates. Uh, Brandon Thomas ran well. It, it, it's so much good out of, out of the game Saturday. And, and Jonah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a little, uh, uh ashamed of myself for having to give so much uh credence to the to the loud i don't know how big but i know it's loud the social media presence that ryan silverfield can't do anything right yeah there's certainly a lot and and obviously it grew more and more as the game was unraveling for memphis um and even after the game uh you know there's there's like i said you can look at it from they went on the road and there was a lot of adversity, obviously some of it self-inflicted and they prevailed. And you can look at it like this is a team that's new to the conference in North Texas and Memphis people feel like should have gone there and beat them pretty handedly like they were in the first half. And obviously they showed that they could by their first half performance. So, um, you know, you can read into it both ways. I think there has been, I've noticed it today, you know, six and two and it's kind of like six and two is pretty good. Most, most teams in the country, if they're six and two, obviously relative to schedules and everything, they're pretty excited. And yeah. I think the, the caveat for Memphis is you can look at the record, you can look at the opponents and really the teams that Memphis has beaten, obviously, which they've been favored to, to beat all those teams. But the Tigers are alive in the AAC title race. And I think that's the most important thing. It, it's not like a long shot thing. If, if Memphis wins out, I would say they, they're got an inside track to be in the AAC title game. And with four games to go, I mean, I think that's a pretty good place to be. Jonah, do you think Coach Silverfield and the players see and hear what we're seeing and hearing? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think uh, a lot of people will tell you they're not on social media and they don't read anything that we write or anything that fans say. Um, I believe it for some people. Um, I think it's really – I even think about it. It's really hard to not be on social media, especially for, like, every player on the team 
And it, it really only, you know, if, if one player reads all this stuff on Twitter and they start talking in the locker room, um, you never really know. So it, it's hard to say, but I think that in whatever way it happens, when there's a sentiment from a fan base, it trickles into everything around the program. And, and that's not to say that the sentiment is all bad, right? Like there's a lot of positives and they're six and two. That's true. And I think if they go win another couple of games, going to that SMU game, the second to last week of the season, I think there's a chance for there to be a lot of positivity, kind of like a, a redo almost from the two lane game where the excitement is building and people in the city are saying, okay, this is a moment for us. And then we'll see what, what happens, but obviously they got to get there first. Do you get, do you sense, do you feel like there might be a strong current of defenders of we've had enough of this that are ready to shout down the naysayers? I think so. I think, uh, there's, a, I think really, really what it is is there's a lot of people who are indifferent. And if something goes really well or really badly, then they're going to jump on to whatever side that is. And this is still teetering on the edge, right? Because They've won the last two weeks. There's been some shaky moments in both of those games. The first half against UAB was all over the place. The second half against North Texas was all over the place. Um, if they had just combined, you know, Ryan Silverfield even said it today, if you take the, the second half of the UAB game and the first half of the North Texas game, and they're coming back now for a home game this week, and they had kind of done that in both games, I think the sentiment would be different. So it's kind of tough to say, and I think by the end of the season, we can kind of look back and say, okay, this is how we judge the season. This is what we should expect moving forward. Yeah. Well, what would you make of Seth Hennigan's performance? I mean, 78.6 completion percentage, 330 yards, only needed one uh, passing touchdown out of him because of how they were running the ball early in that game, and that one uh, touchdown pass was the, the game winner to Joe Skates. What did you make of his performance back in his hometown? Yeah, I thought he had a really good game. I thought even before um, the last drive, he – he had played a really good game, and even with that completion percentage, there were a lot of drops mm-hmm. from receivers. So, and passes that were right on him that that should have been caught, frankly. So, I think that number could have been higher. Um, he had played well in the first half. It was it was one of those games, you know, back back in my initial version of my game story when it was about Blake Watson kind of carrying the game. Part of that was Seth Hennigan made plays when he needed to make them, and in the first half, that's kind of what he did. Whenever they needed a throw, he made a throw. Whenever they needed to give the ball to Blake Watson because the run game was working so well, he did that. And that was really the reason why the offense was working so well. So I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. Obviously, you spin it forward to the final drive. And it was, you know, that's everything you could ask for. You know, if you're a quarterback, you're in your hometown, it's your homecoming game, 40 seconds left in the game, you got to go down the field and score a touchdown. And the execution on that drive was almost flawless. There was a penalty. Uh, but besides that, pretty much everything worked perfectly, including the the throw in the last play of the game. So I think it was a really good game for him. I think it's something that's going to give him confidence moving forward, and that was a, a really good sign for the Tigers. Jonah, I will say, with four remaining, home against USF at Charlotte, home against SMU, and at Temple in the preseason, I had all four of those games as Memphis Tiger wins, and I feel like that today. And I, I think Ryan Stewartfield and his staff feels like it should be 4-0, don't they? Yeah, well, certainly they do. I think SMU is looking a little eerie because, you know, you can look at the quality of competition that SMU has faced in in the conference. It hasn't been high, but they had as dominant a performance as I can remember seeing. I think they were up 49 to 3 or something, 49 to 10 in the first half. 
against Tulsa on Saturday. Um, so that's obviously the game that's circled on the calendar. Memphis needs to win the next two games to make sure that game is as important as it looks like it's going to be now. Um, I think that game, if SMU continues playing the way they did, I would guess they'd be favored coming in. Um, but again, there's no reason why Memphis can't compete with them. And that's going to be a really good test. The other three games, Memphis should, should be favored by a considerable margin. Um, just looking at how they've played, especially Charlotte and Temple this season. And that last game of the year in Philadelphia against Temple, that has been moved to Friday, correct? Yes. Do we know a kick time yet? We do not. I think that's going to be announced either two weeks before or one week before. Um, and what's interesting is UTSA and, and Tulane are playing on that same day. So it's likely that that game is going to be important for conference championship stuff, mm-hmm. um, which means that assuming Memphis wins out, it's still unlikely that anything will be decided before that last day when those two games are going to happen probably right after each other. Talking to Jonah Dillon from the Commercial Appeal, he's the Tiger football beat writer. Jonah, last week when we talked to you, we talked about the defense in that first half, kind of giving up a lot of points, a lot of missed tackles. I think 21 missed tackles um, that I saw on on PFF for that game against UAB. This week, uh, a lot of missed tackles, especially in that second half when you saw North Texas um, have that comeback. I think I saw 17 missed tackles for this defense. What have you made of this, this unit, the defensive unit, through these past two games? Yeah, they showed that they can they can do it. They showed in the first half against North Texas and in the second half against UAB how good they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, even I mean, even against North Texas, the the turnover. You know, at, at the time when Jalen Allen got that strip sack, it seemed like that was going to be the okay. North Texas was kind of coming back, yeah. but then they came up with a big play, and then Memphis is going to pull away. Now they were up by seventeen points, and that was late in the third quarter, and then the collapse continued. Um, and even now, when you look back at that play, I don't know that Memphis would have had a chance to even win the game if it weren't for that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to give guys credit for that play. But uh, yeah, the inconsistency is the problem. The tackling has been one of those things throughout the season. We remember the Navy yeah. game when it was like yeah, very yeah, really apparent did. in the first the first half, and then it got cleaned up, and it was kind of like okay, they had problems, but they cleaned it up, and then it, it kind of comes back in waves in different games. Um, and so that's something that. That's been a problem. I think the inconsistency is, is something that's carried over between the offense and the defense really throughout the season because now we're eight games in and we're still talking about the same things we were talking about early on in the season. Yeah, Joni, I, I, I think the, the tackling, it should be the biggest fixable, correctable issue, but if you hadn't done it since the Navy game, you know, when, when are you going to do it? Outside of that, outside of kind of – uh, of strategy, what what's the what's the personnel issue? What's the position group? Do you think that is lacking that could could lead to a loss, maybe to SMU or somewhere before the end of the year? I think the, the secondary is is what you would want to look at. There were some problems on Saturday with injuries. Um, it didn't look like anything long term. Greg Rubin has been injured for a couple of games now, but guys were going in and out, um, and there's been some inconsistency there. And there's been in that second half. You know, North Texas has an explosive offense, and they put up points against a lot of teams, but they just unlocked something, and they were throwing the ball in the middle of the field, and guys were just wide open every play. Um, and so every part of the secondary, you know, has to be better, obviously, especially when you look at SMU and you look at what they're doing with their quarterback. Um, so that's that's something that, that I would key in on. I think, again, the tackling is going to – we're probably going to talk about that every week. It hasn't been necessarily bad throughout a whole game. It just seems to come back in waves. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the secondary, I think, is is the place where you would say if they can fix that and they can make sure guys aren't open as much, um, they're going to make it a lot harder for offense to move the ball. Uh, Jonah, you mentioned the injury to Greg Rubin, but uh, Rock Taylor also left the game on Saturday with an injury. What have you heard uh, about his status going into this week? Yeah, so Ryan Silverfield said uh, he expects Rock Taylor to play. Um, he was limping a little bit after the game, but they're hopeful he can play. Jonah Gamble, uh, who's the starting left guard, did not play on Saturday, and that caused him to kind of move some things around on the offensive line. Um Silverfield said that he's day-to-day, so we'll have to see later in the week. But I thought the offensive line actually played pretty well, um, even though guys were also going in and out. Mac Pounders, the left tackle, was in draw on the last drive and then came back in. Um, but they definitely held up, especially really on the last drive, and obviously in the run game in the first quarter. What's the real South Florida, the South Florida that shocked the country by staying close with Alabama, only losing 17-3 to at home to the Crimson Tide in, in September, or the, or the South Florida that got hammered 56-14 by FAU? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think I remember watching that game when they played Alabama. It seemed, you know, Alabama was obviously working through some things where they were, but they played two or three different quarterbacks in that game. Um, and it was weird. There was like a delay or something. Um, I think South Florida, again, Memphis has seen two teams two weeks in a row that moved the ball really quickly offensively, and South Florida moves it quicker than both of them. I think they're one of the fastest offenses in the country um, in terms of how quick they go. So that's going to provide uh, another, you know, a bunch of tests, and, and I'm not sure that Memphis has proven that it can stand up to that kind of an offense. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. Obviously, we would expect Memphis' offense to continue to put up points as they've done every game, even if it hasn't been consistent from the get-go until the end of the game. But I think definitely looking at that battle between South Florida's offense and Memphis' defense is where the game is going to be won and lost. Watching South Florida that day against Alabama, I thought their defensive line thoroughly whipped Bama's offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that... It's really hard because, like you said, they, they've gone and played much worse in against teams that are obviously not as good as Alabama. So it's hard to say that game was at home. Obviously, this game is going to be in Memphis. Um, I, I would guess if you're Memphis's staff, you're not reading a ton into that game because you'd rather look at the games against conference opponents where you have common opponents and things like that, and it's obviously more recent. Um, but that's something that's going to be in the back of their minds, in the back of Tigers fans' minds, I'm sure. Um, going into this weekend. Jonah, we started this segment kind of talking about this portion of the fan base that's a little disgruntled, uh, kind of against Ryan Silverfield. As the team comes back home, it'll be a homecoming game this weekend. Uh, what, what will the environment be like? What will that attendance be like on Saturday against USF for the 6-2 and two team? Yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question. I think, as I've said, to you guys before, my, my impression of, of Memphis so far is that the attendance is the thing that people want to talk about the yeah. most, and, and even so in the, in the road games. And, uh, and by the way, some of the attendance numbers that I've seen for the past two weeks, especially the UAB attendance number, uh, not not close to reality, in my opinion. No. Um, I'll just say that. Uh, obviously, I would guess, you know, I know it's homecoming, but I would guess there's going to be less fans there than there were for the two-lane game. Um, given that the Tulane game obviously was against the top team of the conference, it was on a Friday night, all that stuff. Um, I think in terms of attendance and getting a getting a big buy-in from fans, we're looking more at that SMU game because there's the opportunity to 
generate much more momentum. SMU could be coming in undefeated in the conference. Memphis potentially could be coming in with a four-game winning streak, um, knowing that that's going to be senior day, the last, the last game of the season. So I think that's going to be their chance to get a big attendance number. I think um, Saturday it won't be as big as the two-lane game, and we'll have to see if it's as big as the Boise State game, which I think was around 30,000. Yeah, Jonah got one month to play, and you know, to this point six and two, but I, I've I've never seen a more aggravated, discontented six and two. It usually cures it all, and, and I I hope Saturday along Tiger Lane among the the loyalists, the enthusiasts, the the, the biggest fans. I, I hope if, if there are anti, if there, there's negative, I, I hope that they do win out because, and I, and I, this gets very old in, in trying to impress the other conferences, but no other conference is going to be impressed by 17,000. Yeah. I mean, part of it is you look at these other, and, and this is the conversation that goes on every week and it makes sense. A lot of these other teams that are, in these group of five conferences, they play in much smaller stadiums. So you look at a stadium where there's 30,000 fans and it's the capacity is 35,000 and the atmosphere looks amazing. Memphis gets 35,000 fans and it looks like the stadium is empty, right? Um, that's just the reality of the situation. There's a lot of reasons why yeah. that is. And, you know, I don't think people are clamoring to make the stadium smaller. Um, that's something, by the way, that, that does happen in other places. So I don't, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, an option out there, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's hard. You know, you're just trying to gauge what the expectations are. And like you said, people are, they're hoping to catch the attention of other conferences, but you never really know what's going to do it. Uh, Jonah, uh, we've started seeing Brandon Thomas more and more in the backfield, especially this past weekend on the short yardage plays right there at the goal line. Uh, but, but we have not uh, seen Jay Ducker a lot this season. What have you heard on, on the reasoning for his lack of play? Is it just, production has has uh, Brandon Thomas just kind of taken over his spot in in that room yeah it seems like what they've kind of settled into over the past couple weeks and and Brandon Thomas has been working his way kind of up to depth chart all season obviously he was working his way back from an injury last season and it obviously took him a while to get back but they really like him as a short yardage back Mm -hmm. he had three touchdowns on Saturday and they were all from one yard out and I think (laughs) it was the same play every time um, and it worked every time, and he, he just bowls over guys from one yard out. So um, they're happy with that. And then, obviously, we know what Blake Watson has done. He's been clearly the top running back for Memphis all season, um, and, and he's getting better and better. And then I think Ryan Silverfield really likes what Sutton Smith brings as kind of a change-of-pace guy. He had one run on Saturday um, where I think he juked like pretty much the entire uh, North Texas defense, got to the one-yard line, and then, of course, it's Brandon Thomas time. Um, so I think that they found something that they, they feel like works, um, and they want to stick with it. Obviously that means less time for Jay Ducker. Um, and he obviously played a much bigger role last year. I don't think that they necessarily would tell you, uh, you know, he's not good enough, this and that. I think right. they just found something that, that works and they're kind of going to go with it until something causes them to change. Jonah, I would imagine your drive down and back, and it's it's a for, it's a keep for keeps drive. It's it, it's a hard drive to the Metroplex, Denton, even, all that area. Seven down, seven back. I'm saying about twelve hours of driving out of the fourteen windshield wipers going full tilt, weren't they? Oh, tell me about it. I mean, yesterday, I first of all, I could spend the entire segment talking about this if that's what you want. Um, <laughs> but uh, yesterday. Uh, the, yeah, the, the yesterday on Friday going up there, it was kind of on and off. And, and by the time I got down towards Dallas, 
Um, it cleared up a little bit, but uh, yesterday driving back, it was pouring Brilliant. rain uh, pretty and much the, the entire time. And the big yep. trucks and in the, Arkansas. The trucks are driving by you, and that sprays even more water right into the windshield. <laughs> right. You can't even see anything for a couple seconds, you know, right when you go by the truck, and then you just hope for the best, and then another truck comes, and you got to be locked in, but it's been six hours of driving. Uh, <laughs> I was just happy yeah. when I made it back to Memphis last night. So yeah, yeah, you want to you want to kiss the ground, and I I texted <laughs> you yesterday that Sundays are killers in football season, aren't they? Yeah, well, that's why when you texted me and I responded five hours later, I was like, "Don't worry, I'm not texting <laughs> your text. I've just been locked in on the road." Love it, Jonah. Are, are 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 you helping out tonight at the Grizzlies game? I am. I'm about to head over there uh, right yeah, after this, you. and uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that. And then we got football practice tomorrow morning. So this is this is a busy time for me, and, yes, and I'm sure for a lot of people in this city. Well, and you're doing it well. Yes, we sure you appreciate are. you carving Absolutely. this time for us. Thank you, Jonah. Very Thanks, kind. Jonah. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. You got it. Jonah Dillon joining us from the Commercial Appeal. He's the Tiger football beat writer. New to town, first season with him. And, and you know, he needs to go talk to Jason Munns about some of those travel trips. I remember, so you want to be a sports writer. Oh, man, I remember Jason. <laughs> yeah, it seemed did. like every time we talked to him at the end of last season, he was like, oh, man, let me tell you about this story of getting trapped in snow on the road. And, and that, that drive from Dallas, I mean, you just, get me to Texarkana. Oh, yeah. Get me to Arkadelphia. Oh, yeah. Get me clear Little Rock. Yes. Get me clear Far City. Let me see that bridge. Yes, yes. A drive I have uh, been on multiple, multiple times. Uh, too many to count, and you're right. It is uh, It is not the best. But before we get to a break, i got to tell you about what is the best, and that's Hewlett and Dunn Boot and Jean on the Historic Square in Carryville since 1961. Charles Hall, he started working there in his teens, and now with his wife, Laura, they own the place, known for all the boots. But they also have clothing, accessories, and a cap for any team in any season. Western wear, work boots, safety toe, soft toe, even rubber boots. Boots for every occasion at Hewlett and Dunn. And from head to toe, they've got you covered with every brand imaginable, like Ariat, Dan Post, Anderson Bean. Whether for men or women, they've got the clothing like jeans, pants, shirts, shorts, and outerwear, and the best duck head collection you'll find. Charles and Laura Hall invite you to 111 North Center Street on the square in Carville or to their website, Hewlett Dunn. Dot com, and they've also got you covered with accessories like hats, sunglasses, boot care products in every area, team snapback, or cool hats you can think of, whether it be the Tigers, Mississippi State, UT, Ole Miss, or the Razorbacks, and for travel, their bag selection is absolutely top-notch. HewlettDunn.com, but please head out to Carterville, pay them a visit, and say hello at 111 North Center Street on the square in Carterville at Hewlett and Dunn. Let's get to a break, because when we come back, we've got to talk about the Monday night football game, and we'll do that during our Ruth's Chris Monday night football pick and preview. You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Hello again, everyone. I'm Howard Cosell. Welcome aboard. 
night football. What in the world is going on? The Detroit Lions are playing on Monday night football, Brian. <laughs> Welcome to uh, 2023, Brett. Is it a is it a lockout year? Is it replacement <laughs> players? What's no, going on? No, buy high on this uh, Detroit Lions team. All right, Brian. Here, here hey, this has got to be a big generational divide. Here we go. Have you ever heard of the book, the movie, Paper Lion? No. <laughs> Let me see if I can explain it. So in the '60s, there was a real gadfly type writer George Plimpton okay. and he wrote a book entitled The Paper, a Paper Line and he went through training camp with the Detroit Lions. Oh, wow. It was later the the movie by the same name Paper Line and he was portrayed by Alan Alda of okay. MASH fame yeah. in the movie and, and participated in Lions training camp even got in a scrimmage Wanted to play in a game, and they said Pete Rosell said not no, but hell no, because he would have gotten killed. Oh, that's got, hilarious! I've never heard of that, but that is that is hilarious. The the book I read it in sixth or seventh grade. Yeah, and the movie was pretty good. And Alex Karras was prominent in the movie. Uh huh. You know, later in other movies, and sure. later on Monday Night Football. Yeah. And real tough guy. And I, I think the treatment of of, of George Plimpton in camp wasn't great by some, including Alex Garris. Sure. <laughs> That's awesome. But, I, I have to check it out. So you don't have you don't have Alan Alder or George Plimpton on your top four Detroit Lion quarterbacks, I, do you? I do not. No. Tonight should be a really good game. It should be. I, uh, uh, Decent matchup. Yeah. Uh, the 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 Lions having to recover from last week, just when we were about to fall in love with them and maybe Crown. embrace them. Yeah. Uh, they, they went back to being the Detroit Lions last week. Yeah, they did, and I mean, a good against a uh, really good Ravens team. And I think the best we've seen the Ravens look all season was last week against the Lions and and Vegas coming off a, a loss against the the Bears and and uh, Tyson Bajet's first uh, first NFL start so both teams coming off a loss trying to kind of right the ship a little and there was a time that the Raiders were magic on Monday night football they had a runaway great record on Monday night football but we'll see the Lions uh they lean heavily on on Jared Goff, and he he's been good yeah. uh, with, with, with keeping the turnovers down. And he'll he'll have to be tonight, and he'll have to keep an eye on Max Crosby in that defensive line for for the Raiders. We'll be watching Monday Night Football at Roos Chris, whether it's date night, a birthday, or after a big win, or just because raise a stake in celebration at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse in the Regalia Shopping Center. You can hear the sizzles, and that's how celebrating, enjoying Monday night football should be done. And for the holiday season, call now. Call now and book your event for the holiday season. You want the perfect place for it, and it's there. Kevin Johnson, General Manager, Jared Wells, his executive chef, and they want everyone to know that to, to celebrate the holidays in style, I think either already are getting close to being decorated and for any occasion treat yourself to one of the classic usda prime beef steak seasoned and broiled to perfection served sizzling hot on one of ruth's signature 500 degree plates trust us on the temperature great time and plenty of safe free parking in regalia open for lunch on sunday happy hour right now monday through thursday four to six and sunday three thirty to six in the most hospitable steakhouse in town and for the holidays those ruth's gift cards always available tonight the detroit 
they're they're favored over the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm trying to get to the exact point spread. Do you have it? Uh, it looks like it's a seven-point favorite is what I'm seeing, so seven-and-a-half for us. So we'll call it seven-and-a-half for us. I think Detroit bounces back and wins big. Uh, I'm going to also go with Detroit. It looks like uh, it looks like it's being reported slowly that Amon Ross St. Brown is going to play tonight. Um, so uh, that would be huge if he can play for them, but why not? I'll take Detroit tonight at home. So group lock for us. We were zero and one on on NFL. That takes the season total. NFL six and ten. College football. We were one and two. That takes the season total to ten and eleven. So you don't have George Plimpton or Alan Alda on your football on your quarterback list. And we couldn't combine them, or we probably wouldn't have any Detroit Lions, yeah. would we? No, I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. maybe one, but probably not. So start with Detroit. One's easy, and he's Hall of Famer. Who's that? Matthew Stafford. Okay, good. I, I just want to make sure we are talking about okay. the same person. Yes. Well, you uh, kind of scared me. No, you kind of scared me. Uh, Matt Stafford is, I thought you were talking about someone who was already in the Hall of Fame, and I was like, I have, I have no idea who you're talking about. Uh, but no, number one for me uh, for the Lions, Matt Stafford. Two, Bobby Lane. Uh, number three, Scott Mitchell. And then number four, uh, Greg Landry. That is my uh, big four for the Lions. I went Matthew Stafford one, and I don't think there's any argument no. there. Two, I've got Jared Goff. Oh, that's a good one. Wow, I hate that I didn't even think about putting him on there. I I mean, why not? And I'm not trying to forecast. I'm saying just what already been done. I bet you, and I have not looked, I bet you he's no worse than fifth or sixth all-time in passing yards already with lines. I'd love to know. Number three, I have Greg Landry. And number four, the old Texas Longhorn, Bobby Lane. I like it. I like it. Uh, I'm still trying to find. Jared Goff is eighth right now in passing. Okay, yards. that's I, still crazy. I'm off. Though. That's still uh, only 38 games. That is far less than anybody ahead of him. So, but eight. I mean, not bad. Uh, for my Raiders, I am going to go uh, number one, Ken Stabler. Number two, Derek Carr, the longtime. Raider quarterback. Number three, Rich Gannon. And then number four, Jim Plunkett. A lot of hate for Jim Plunkett. But he is fifth all-time in passing yards for the Raiders. And should be in the Hall of Fame. Two Super Bowls and and what he accomplished. And, you know, a few weeks ago when I was talking about is anybody ever gone three straight like the Packers with with Favre, Rodgers, and Jordan Love not going to make it. You can make the case the Raiders did do it. That they did do it with Daryl LaMonica, then Kenny Stabler, then then Jim Plunkett. Yeah. And it's not a leap to say they did it four straight with Mark Wilson behind Jim Plunkett and could make a case of certainly functionable, decent Jay Schrader five in a row. Wow. Five in a, a row. Lot, a lot of places have had a lot less five oh, yeah. in a row. Than, you, than that. But, I think you can certainly but, make three for sure. And, and, and you know, sprinkled in there, you, you had some George Bland uh, helping out years uh-huh. when he was really the kicker, yeah. but would help out at, at quarterback. But for sure, LaMonica La and then Stabler and, and then Jim Plunkett. So, n- number one for me, the snake, Kenny Stabler, two, Jim Plunkett, three, Derek Carr, and four, the, the, the Mad Bomber, Daryl Monica. That's a good one. He right outside uh, for my list. Um, but, no, I think 
four, four, five really good quarterbacks for for on that you could put on a Raiders list. Maybe and Al Al Davis loved that guy that could get on that back foot and just throw that bomb. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely on on the go route. Whether it was Belitnikov, which he wasn't that great on the go, but you know Cliff Branch uh, and. So many others. Yeah, no, you're you're right about that. So no, it should be a fun game tonight. Uh, I'm curious how both of these teams kind of bounce back after losses. More kind of interest to see how the Lions bounce back after that loss. Because you're right. I mean, a week ago, I was certainly sitting here saying, "Oh, you know, the the Lions, they're going to beat I the Ravens." They'd gotten to that level. I, I thought so now, too. And now not. They got it. They got it. They got to earn it back. But Baltimore, I thought that last week in the in in their win. Yeah. Over the lines, and now yesterday kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, gives me discomfort with them. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know to trust them. I completely agree with you because it looked like that they had kind of turned that corner of, eh, they're okay. They're a Ravens team. We want more from them, uh, but really just didn't give you much yesterday. Um, and and OBJ, me and me and John Harden were talking about this earlier. Uh, OBJ has not given them anything this year. He was he uh, four targets yesterday, zero yards. I think a lot of people did. I mean, there were a lot of Ravens fans that were jumping for joy what when they signed OBJ. Uh, great question, but I think and, and and what moved out of Baltimore wherever Hollywood Brown shows. Yeah. Why do you expect it's going to be different? That's a that's a good point. That's a good point. But I, I think I just think people had more after what. Eight weeks into the season, 162 yards and 14 receptions, zero touchdowns. I mean, I think you get a little more than that. And, and Brian, do you remember that two weeks or so, not two weeks ago, but that two weeks that we were ready, we weren't. Because we even said, let's make sure he's Jimmy Garoppolo first. But when Brock Purdy was going to be the next Joe Montana, (laughs) and and, uh... and we said... Slow way down on this. Yeah, and then uh, now I've seen people putting up uh, pictures of Brock Purdy next to uh, Jeremy Lin um, and, and, and calling it a Lin Sanity rhyme. But, mm-hmm. I mean, three straight losses for the for the 49ers. I don't think, especially against the, the teams they've lost to, I don't think anybody had that. I think Kyle Shanahan can get decent quarterback play out of a nose guard. <laughs> yeah. I think so. And, and tapped into... Really good timing with Brock Purdy, sure. But but now his his confidence has to be rattled. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you lose three straight games. I mean, for and, the and it's kind of on him. Yeah, and with the start of the NFL career he had, I mean, this has got to be just I mean, awful for him. But on the other side, a huge win for the Bengals, a Bengals team that started the season one and three with losses against the Browns and the Titans. That's a win they needed to now move them to four and three on the season. I heard Jim Nance say this yesterday that they had met on Saturday, the announced crew with mm-hmm. with uh, with Joe Burrow, and Jim Nance said he said to Joe Burrow, "Aren't we always at this point with you guys around the first of November? Seems like where, it. where they 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 have to get hot and get rolling, and, and you know they're there again." It seems like it, but no, they they certainly need that win. That's a that's a really good point, and I'm sure by the end of the season they're going to be right up there, and we're going to all be talking about what can the Bengals do uh, again in the postseason. But that was uh, that was a wild game yesterday. It it, it was a, a a wild game, and and, and the Forty ers I, I think that defense they'll get they'll get it back. Yeah. And I know with Christian McCaffrey they can get it back. 
But I don't know if Brock Purdy taps back into that again. No, no, maybe not. But, you know, like you said, with the weapons they have and the, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan running that offense, I mean, it's it's not hard to, to go out there and, and win a bunch of games. So we'll see what happens tonight in this Monday night football game. I'm interested in it, and uh, we'll see what the Lions and the Raiders can do tonight on ESPN. But you can also catch that game right here on Sports 56. Uh, We will have that at 7 o'clock right after Rebel Yell Hotline. But let's go ahead and get to our final break of the day. When we come back, we'll wrap up today's show with Taco Bell Crunch Time. Start your day with Sports 56 Mornings with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10, right here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports Time on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by Hewlett & Dunn Boot & Jean Company in Collierville. Here once again are Brett Norsworthy and Bryant Dacus. Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito. So good. Double the steak with nacho cheese sauce, seasoned rice, red strips, sour cream, and the three cheese blend wrapped inside a warm flour tortilla with even more three cheese blend grilled on the top. The Double Steak Grilled Cheese Burrito, it hits the spot now at Taco Bell. And at Taco Bell, when they say they are feeding people's lives with unexpected good, they mean it. Bowl food you can't get anywhere else. Well, Brett, what I learned today after rumor galore this morning, Brian Ferentz, it has been announced that he will not return to the Iowa program after this season. There's been a lot of talk around Brian Ferentz because of his restructured uh, contract last offseason where he took a pay cut and in his contract it said that if he did not if he in the Iowa offense did not average 25 or more points per game this season that his contract would be terminated but now uh, as we get into November they are nowhere close to averaging 25 no. points per game I think about 19 and a half points per game right now they lost their starting quarterback to an injury and it doesn't look good so Brian Ferentz has said that he will not return Turn. Now, we, uh, if you don't know, Brian Ferris does not report to his father. He reports to the athletic director um, because his father is the head coach, and you know that would be crazy. Nepotism, uh, nepotism yeah. correct. Um, so the Iowa hired a new athletic director this past offseason that doesn't have this long relationship mm-hmm. with the Ferris family. So uh, I hate that a man is losing his job, but I don't think he would have uh, been able to keep a job after the season one way or the other. How hard one. More unhappier fan base at six and two, Iowa or Memphis? Uh, well, now after this news, I'd, I'd have to say Iowa. I got news for him. If, if, if Brian Brian Ferentz, if Kirk Ferentz keeps that job, he's not hiring an offensive coordinator to come in with five wideouts. No, no, we don't, we're not hiring a whiz kid offensive coordinator that's going to air it out. Uh, what I learned that was a great win for the Tigers Saturday. It's a game too many times in the past that has slipped away. And heck, last year it was slipping away. Six and two is really good, and I think people should celebrate that. Be careful 
what you're doing and what you might be signing up for in being unhappy with 6-2. and two. Yeah, absolutely. What I could have done without the NFL has threatened the University of Houston with legal action over blatant, quote, blatant copying of the Oilers-inspired uniforms that they have they have worn multiple times this season. The Houston Chronicle was the first to report this this morning in a in a letter that they obtained via open records request. In the letter, uh, this is what uh, CBS Sports wrote about it. The letter cites Houston's blatant copywriting of the Oilers uniforms and also demanded that the school halt sales of any merchandise and remove any social media posts or other branding related to the uniforms. Houston did not uh, explicitly reference the Oilers or, quote, love you blue when when they unveiled the uniforms ahead of the season opener against UTSA. I was just about to say they've worn these jerseys multiple times this Mm -hmm. season, especially the first game of the season. Why just now is the NFL trying to step in? Oh, I think they it's saw how successful answer. those uniforms were yesterday with with the Titans. And times are tough. The NFL, is oh, tough, right? that's a great point, Brad. Times I mean, they're tough, scraping man. by. I mean, can't, hey, can't have it. Why won't the Tennessee Titans just go full Tennessee Oilers and embrace all of it? I, I look those uniforms yesterday were sweet. I'd, I'd be in favor of it. They look they look so good yesterday. Uh, Could have done without this Grizzlies zero and three start. Devin mm, Bain, yeah. he's been the MVP so far this team. But Derrick Rose might be runner-up really so far, is. and I didn't think I would be saying that after three. I think if I can relax a little bit on the Grizzlies front yeah. as well, uh, Jerry Jackson with 14 fouls in three Ooh. games so far. Wow, that's uh, that's a lot of fouls. Uh, where are you beaming tonight? Beam me to game three of the World Series in the desert downtown Phoenix, though, where the game will be played tonight. Give me the Biltmore Hotel to stay in either the Adobe course or the Lynx course at the at the Biltmore to play. Mm-hmm. But I want to see Max Scherzer against Randy Falk tonight. Um, old, old P-Fat has had the yeah. playoff experience. 16 yeah. innings pitched already this playoff season. And he's, he's looked good in the postseason. Uh, I would beam there, but I'm going to spread it out since you're beaming there. I'll... Head out to FedEx Forum tonight for the Grizzlies against the Mavs. It has been reported officially Kyrie Irving will not play tonight with a foot injury. So no Kyrie tonight for the Mavs. And we'll watch Max Scherzer tonight. This is why they got him. Yeah. Monday night football in Detroit and and the Grizzlies at FedEx Forum against the 2-0 and Mavs. Yeah, it should be a fun night if you're driving down to FedEx Forum. Uh, safe travels. Get there safely and enjoy the game. But that's all the time we have. Enjoy your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock.